You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) My name is Janet Gray, and I have been attending Hope for about five years. And I would like you to please stand for the reading of God's word. Thank you. Our passage today is from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, well, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you. It is great to see. Thank you, Janet. It's great to see you this morning. So glad that you're here. Grab your Bibles, your devices, as Janet just read, and follow along in the book of Matthew chapter 11, and also the synoptic gospel of uh, the book of Matthew chapter 6. So what we're going to be doing over the next three weeks together is we're going to be discussing and exploring this topic of prayer. And so I, as a part of the preaching team, I get to have this opportunity to start this with you today as we go through the form of prayer or the example of prayer that Jesus gives us in the book of Luke chapter 11. But I want to say before we begin, hey, it is so good to have you. We missed all of our college students over the summer. We hope you had a great summer and that you're ready to dive into class and all that wonderful excitement, you know, as a, as a sponge of all the knowledge that you're going to be soaking up this year. But we are glad that you're here as part of our church family. Those of you that are checking us out this morning for the first time, that, hey, welcome. And uh, it, is, it is great to see you and great to have you today. So before we begin, uh, you know, if you've been here before, then you kind of know that this is sort of a, a, a participation kind of time together as well. So can you turn to the person next to you and greet them and say good morning? Can you do that for me for a moment, please? Good. So there's more, right? There's more. Ask them, have you ever struggled with prayer? Ask them that for a moment. Have you ever struggled with prayer? Now let's now say let's pray together. No, no, don't pray with them for a moment, okay? We'll do that at the end. We'll do that at the end. Prayer is, well, I think it's one of those spiritual disciplines that we all find ourselves struggling with at times. We struggle to believe in prayer at moments of our life. But I think even more than that, more specifically, I think we struggle to uh, believe in the effectiveness of our own prayers. We don't see direct or immediate results to them at, at many times when we pray. So we struggle to maintain a motivation to, to pray as well. And I think we've all been there. You know, look at the way we pray. I thought about that uh, this week. 
about the words that we use during our prayers, and words are important. I mean, Jesus does give us an example of prayer. And we say things to Lord, the Lord like, Lord, if you would just intervene in this situation, or Lord, if you would just touch this person's heart, or Lord, if you would just heal this individual. And it's almost as if when we use the word just, we soften that request to God as if there's a hesitation as we're really insecure into how God is going to respond to us in this time of prayer. Lord, am I, you know, am I praying the right way? God, how do I approach you? And so I think we do struggle with prayer, but I think even more specifically for many of us in this room, we struggle with that effectiveness of our own prayer. You see, Jesus knew this. I love this about Christ and and the gospels specifically because Jesus knew this about you and I and knew how we would struggle in this area. Because here is the thing. The disciples, when they ask him this question, they had already seen him preach, right? They had already seen Jesus teach. They had already seen Jesus heal the sick. But they do not ask Jesus to teach them how to preach, to teach, or heal the sick. They don't. They ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. So it is a, it is a challenge for many as the disciples and as is you and I today, I think. So I always start with a question to sort of get you to chew on something during the sermon to kind of get your mind and your heart going. So here's the question. We as a church, and I use also church as the big church, the big C is the body of Christ, but specifically here as this body, that we as a church are known for preaching and teaching and worship. Yes, we are in community, but are we equally known for prayer? That's a thought, isn't it? That when we think about church and we think about preaching, yeah, well, you're here for that. That's why you're here, here for worship. Yes, you're here for community. Absolutely. Because, you know, we serve you donuts and all those great things in the lobby and coffee. Not because we think that you show up hungry, because we know that you can probably get your own food. We understand that. But yet we do that for community. So we know all of those things. But are we equally known for prayer? You say, Mark, is prayer really important for the church? Well, yeah, it absolutely is. Let me share with you for a moment from the book of Acts how important that is. And you don't have to look this up, but just listen to these these, uh, references to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, we find the church is persecuted. They come overwhelmed with that persecution. They gather to pray. What does God do? God shakes the very room that they're gathering in to pray. And from that, and from that group of people that come out of that prayer meeting, God shakes the whole world with the gospel. In Acts chapter 6, we find the apostles describe their ministry primarily as that of a ministry of prayer and a ministry of the scriptures. I think we get the part of the ministry of scripture. I think we do. But do we get the part about that of the ministry of, of prayer? In Acts chapter 12, when Peter is imprisoned, what does the church in Jerusalem do? They gather together for an all-night prayer meeting, and Peter is released. In the book of Acts chapter 13, during, the church, during a church prayer meeting, what, does, what happens? God raises up Paul and Barnabas, namely to go preach to the Gentiles, and, and they're set apart for the ministry. Thus, the expansion of the gospel into, well, into our world as well. And so today, we sit here because we've heard the gospel through that prayer meeting. Do you get the point? I think it is amazingly important, overwhelmingly important. But let me just also kind of uh, go Old Testament on you for a moment. It's the book of Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13, 
when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. So prayer is ultimately and overwhelmingly important. We're not the nation of Israel. I realize that we don't have temples where God dwells, but we do have temples that are not made by hands where God dwells. And that is our, our, our bodies. That is of our spirit as well. And so when we realize this, that we've been adopted into the sonship of Christ, that all the promises of God are fulfilled through his son, Jesus, so that when we pray, what was God's promise? That he would answer our prayers just as he answered the prayers of Israel. So prayer is important. But prayer is, can be a strange thing at times, right? Yeah. You ever been to a home group or, or a community group or small group meeting, and there's always those very odd prayer requests that are given, right? They're very odd, and they're, and they're kind of different. It puts everybody on age, edge. And, and so, you know, it's like somebody goes to a prayer meeting, and they say, hey, pray for my son that he's entering a karate tournament next week, and I want him to dominate all of his competitors, right? So how do you pray over that? You know, you pray, dear Lord, you take his right foot and enable it to find its way to the left side of the head of that other child and God knock them unconscious in the name of Jesus, right? Yeah. It's strange, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That we find ourselves in those moments where you have somebody that's going to lead in prayer and they know very personal things about everybody in the room and they begin somehow in their prayer to drop those things into the middle of the prayer, right? And, and it makes everybody feel kind of weird. And so prayer is a very interesting thing and it's something that we struggle with, much like the disciples. That is why Jesus gives us the book of Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6, the synoptic gospels of Matthew and Luke for you and I to understand prayer. So let's jump into the journey this morning together. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. I love this. Stop for a moment. Because Jesus teaches by modeling something to us. And I think that's a lesson that we could just learn from that very first statement about the power of modeling. And so Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Have you ever wondered why that disciple, whoever it was, said to teach us to pray as John taught his disciples? Because it was not unusual at that time for a teacher or a rabbi to simply impart to his followers a form of prayer. So this is their mindset. Get the mindset of disciples. So what they're saying now is to Jesus that we're your followers, so you teach us your form of prayer. I'm not sure that they were ready for what Jesus is about to say to them. And so it was very powerful as Jesus began to speak to them, and they said to to the Lord, Lord, teach us to pray. Wow. I think it's important that you and I understand that we are taught to pray. That's, That's a point, that we are taught to pray. That these are Jesus' words regarding prayer. He gives us a lesson on prayer. And because he gives us a lesson on prayer, what that says to us is that all prayer is not the same or acceptable. 
Now, for some of you that have struggled or you're struggling with this spiritual discipline, that just sets you on edge, didn't it? Yes. You say, Mark, you proved my point that I, this spiritual discipline of prayer, I just can't get this, so I'm not trying anymore. And what you just said proved my point. Well, let me give you some context because context is everything about what Jesus is saying to us here. He's saying to us, yes, there is a way to pray and a way not to pray. That is the point. That This is not about some legalistic, exclusive, non-relational liturgy, some mindless incarnation that Jesus is calling you and I to when it comes to prayer and this model of prayer. Prayer has always been about that of an intimate conversation with the Father. So Jesus is not discounting that. This is more than just form. This is about your approach in prayer. Is what it's about. It's about your approach. It's about your heart. It's what is behind your prayer as much as the content of your prayer is what he's speaking to. Let me show you what he's teaching us. In the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Listen, this is not a statement about whether prayer works or not. It's a statement regarding what you and I think motivates God during prayer to respond to us. That's the point. What motivates God to respond to me when I, when I pray? So when I begin to read this text from the book of Matthew, what I realize is that it's interesting that only one kind of prayer that Jesus specifically criticizes, and that is prayers that are too long. That's what he says, right? Yes. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> yeah. You ever been to a family meal? And all of a sudden, someone asks your crazy uncle to pray, right? And you're thinking, oh, no, he was the last one to pray. And what does he do? He gives you a sermon in the prayer, right? Yes, we've all been there at some point. So I I think it's interesting. That's the only kind of prayer that he criticizes is that prayers that are too long. But here's what I love about this. Jesus never criticizes long sermons. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? None of you. Oh, I have one amen in the room. Yes, one of you. I love that. But it is, a, it is an interesting point. Let me frame all of this for a moment. Because I think when we read this, that we think, oh, well, they're praying like this because they want to be seen as pride. Well, that's in a point. I, I understand that as well. And, but we think, oh, let's just kind of, kind of put this in these, this capsule of pride. And, and that's what it, But I think there's a little more here for you and I to grasp as, as we read this, that those that prayed these types of prayers thought that, well, the more words that they use, the greater chances of God hearing them, <clears throat> excuse me, and God responding. You say, oh, Mark, wait a minute, that's crazy. We don't do that. But yet for some of you, with your whatever your ecclesiastical church background may be, yes, it is because some of you have thought, well, the more Hail Marys that I say, then the more opportunity it is for God to respond to my prayer in the way I want him to respond. 
or the more biblical language I use in my prayer, then, then the better that prayer. So I'm going to drop some Hebrew words, you know, because Jesus spoke Hebrew. Well, he also spoke Aramaic and he also spoke Greek. So you better, you know, kind of brush up on your languages if you're going to use that. From my background, oh, it was the louder you pray that, that the more God is likely to hear you. Like God suffers from a hearing loss, right? Yes. But it's really a matter of the heart is what he's talking about here that Jesus is addressing. That when I pray, who am I leaning into is what he's saying. What am I trusting in? Is it God or my words or myself? Where am I resting when I pray? Where does my trust reside in my prayer life? In him or me? Are we, or do we find ourselves in our prayer time trying to earn what God wants to give to us freely? For Jesus said, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And I, and I thought about, and I said in this statement for a while, that what it says to me is that there's an inference here of anxiousness, Right? Because when you get anxious and you get nervous and you get insecure, you begin to talk a lot is what you kind of do. And I think that that's where we are. And this is really not a statement about that of whether you can pray a prayer that's too long or too short. But again, it's about the heart and it's about what's behind your prayer. It's about what you're experiencing, dealing with in your own mind and your own heart while you're praying. And you're thinking, oh, will Jesus hear me? Or do I use the right words in all of this? Or are my prayers too short or too long? Or how long do I need to pray before I break through to God? You know, and, and how much scripture do I use? And here's what Jesus is saying to us. He's dispelling the anxiety that we tend to heap on ourselves with prayer by giving us guidance regarding how we should pray. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, take a breath. Chill for a moment. Inhale, exhale, and relax because I've got this. I'm with you through this journey of prayer. And he says in verse 9, Matthew chapter 6, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So Jesus starts his model of prayer with a relationship that we have with the Father I think this is powerful. So I have a question for you this morning. All of you in the room, are you praying like an orphan or are you praying like a son or a daughter? It's a huge thought, isn't it? Are you praying like an orphan or are you praying like a son or a daughter? You see, that that is the thing that Jesus knew that we would struggle with. And so that's why he says in Luke chapter 11 and verse 2, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. I love it because what Matthew does in Matthew chapter 6 is he adds the word our. So he, he adds this 
this possessive pronoun, and he says, our father. And I think some of you struggle with this issue right from the gate, right out of the gate this morning. Why? Because when you use the word father, you immediately connect that to your earthly father. And if you're in the room this morning and you struggled with this relationship with an earthly father, then this is where you're going to struggle when you begin this prayer. And I want to say to you today that I understand the struggle is real. I, I know that firsthand. I do. From, from someone that had a father at a younger age who abandoned him and left him. And then from that of a stepfather who was completely unpleasable all of my life. And that of always angry. And I never knew how to simply squelch that anger in his life. I understand that. And so what God does, he realizes that many of us in this room will struggle with this very first statement. So he says, start this way. You need to start with understanding your position with God and the way God sees you. And so we pray to a loving father that we don't have to persuade to care for us. That he never leaves us. That he's not unpleasable. That he's not punitive toward you and I and his approach to us. And if you're not framing your prayer in that of God being your loving, gracious, kind, and forgiving Heavenly Father, then everything after that you're going to struggle with through your prayer life. This is where you have to start, that He is our Father. He is our Father. So I'm the father of three sons. Chad, Brad, Grayson. Chad and Brad rhymed. We couldn't figure anything out after Brad, so we got to Grayson, right? Yeah, we thought about Thaddeus, but then you'd have to live with that. If your name is Thaddeus, I apologize. Don't be, you know, don't be offended. You know, I, I don't know why your parents did that, but don't be offended. But, but, uh, uh, but it is a good name, actually. But the, I have Brad here today. Where's Brad? Brad's somewhere in the room. Bradley, you're hiding in the dark back there. Yeah, so Brad's gonna help me for a moment. So this is my son, Bradley, and... Come up here, Brad. Hey, bud. Hey. <clears throat> so I brought a photo to show you this morning because, I mean, we're family, and I wanted to invite you into our kitchen. So there we are, okay? <laughs> so Chad is the oldest. He's the one closest. Uh, then there's Brad, of course. It's interesting how you're lined up there, right? Yes. And, and that's Grayson, our youngest. Notice, notice Brad. Um, He's eating a piece of brisket, so he has his mouth open like a carnivore that he is, right? Yes, yes. And he's eating um, that of Lewis barbecue brisket, and it is amazing. It will change your life. They will serve that in heaven for sure. Absolutely, yes. They will, correct? Yes. Yeah. So this is our family. This is our kitchen. Welcome. Welcome. We're family, right? So I want to talk to you some, a moment about my relationship with, with Bradley Mark. Now, I, I tell you this, that Brad's married, okay? And um, that what I realize, because I taught Brad this growing up and hopefully modeled it with his mother, that next to Christ, Marcy, who is absolutely an amazing woman of God, that Marcy is your priority. Next to Christ, Marcy is your priority. So, uh, guys and girls, if you're, if you're getting married soon, remember that that's super important. And so when Brad and Marcy became husband and wife, 
then mine and Reba's position in his life changed. It did. It's the book of Genesis chapter 2 that Jesus or, or God writes about that to you and I. And so that it's not that I became unimportant. I just, well, became less important, I guess, right? In some way, right? I, and I understand that place and I occupy it uh, with just great, uh, great understanding of, of where I am. But here's the point I want to make that that I am still your father and you're my son and nothing will ever change that. So we have this very unique relationship. It's not that just Brad and I share a lot of interest. It's not. And, and so Brad and I love camping together. We love four-wheeling together as like in like four-wheel driving kind of. It's, it's our redneck side, and right? And putting stuff in the mud and then trying to get it out. And, and then we like overlanding and all those kinds of things that we, we love. We love doing those things together. We love the outdoors as well. But there's a bond between Brad and I that, that goes beyond that. And that's just because we are father and son. It is. So Brad gets certain privileges with me that you don't get, okay? Right? And, and one is that Brad has the alarm code to our house. He does. He can come and go as he pleases. If I find you in my house without me knowing about it, then you're breaking and entering, and that's a crime, right? Yes, yes. So you shouldn't be there. Thank you. And if you have my alarm code, then I will be changing it this afternoon, right? It's true, yeah? Yeah. So... Brad has unlimited visitation rights to the refrigerator, correct? And you're going there this afternoon because you're leaving and going to my house. That's right. That's right. Because mom cooked. That's right. So he has that. Brad can come into my garage and borrow anything he wants, right? He can. Now, if someone else borrows it, I don't know, and I go looking for it, and I can't find it, and I find that somebody else has it, then man, then, then I'm kind of upset. But if Brad has it, that's different because he's my son. It's totally different. Because our relationship is absolutely unique. See, here's what Jesus is teaching you and I. That you have this relationship with the Father. Understand that. And if you miss that in your prayer journey and you embark on all the other elements of this prayer and you miss this part, you're going to struggle with everything beyond this part. You are. You must get this down before we go any further. That you have this undeniable, amazing, and unique relationship with the Father as his son or daughter. Jesus was always so clear through the scriptures about defining his relationship with his Father. I'm going to read one of those to you in just a moment. Thank you, bud. Love you, man. Appreciate you. I'll see you for lunch. Yep, good deal. Great deal. Yeah. So here's, here's what I want to share with you. It's the book of John, chapter 20, verse 7. It's right outside of the tomb after the resurrection of Jesus. Mary meets him first, and Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers, talking about the disciples. And you say to them, so what Jesus does, he charges her with the gospel, and this is what he says to say to the disciples, that I am ascending to my Father and your father. Look at those words. Those are amazing. It is. That what Jesus does. He passes on this priceless treasure. Of calling God our father. He says that I'm ascending to my father. Your father to my God. And your God. Realize this. 
that he is your father. This is where you have to start in prayer. And I think this is the reason why many of us struggle with the spiritual discipline of prayer. Because we have not come to a complete understanding of how God sees us. And how God feels about us today in light of what Jesus is saying. That he is our father. So, could you say this with me? He is my father. Say that. I'll say it again. He is my father. You got to do it one more time because we're Trinitarians. He is my father. Yes. He is my father. Oh, when you say that, you can feel the anxiety of talking to God just sort of dissipate in some ways. Even though you go to him in your sinfulness, even though you approach him in the brokenness of your life, when you approach him as your father, as Brad could come to me as his father, knowing that I'm not going to reject him and, and knowing that, yes, there may be some discipline or there may be some hard words that I have with him, but it doesn't change how I love him, how I care for him and how I am ultimately dedicated to him. If I can love, if I can love Bradley like that, how much more can my heavenly father love me? And if you miss that, then you have missed the building block of this prayer that Jesus teaches us, that he is our father. Because before we ever get to the shopping list of our prayers, and it's okay to have a shopping list when you go to God, there's nothing wrong with that. But before you get to the shopping list, Jesus instructs us to focus on our relationship with him because prayer is more about a right relationship with God than going through the list because we've already read from the book of Matthew that God already knows the list before we bring it to him. Our father. And then he says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now, I have to stop and say a couple of things. One is this. Hallowed is not God's name. Okay? Let's just put that out there, right? Just, just understand that. All right? And I'll explain it to you. But it's God's position in your life. It is God's position in your life. Now, before anybody says anything to me or sends an email or whatever, then I would point out on your notes that it doesn't say hallowed there. It says hallowed. Okay? Understand that, right? So just to point that out to you, right? Because you thought, oh, I have found something. No, you haven't, okay? So just to let you know that, right? Yeah, yeah. So now that that's out, the anxiety is gone in your life from your perfectionism, and we can move on, yeah? Yeah. So what does this mean? Hallowed be thy name as a position in our life for God. What this means is that anything I ask God, anything I ask God for, He's better. Anything that I ask God to give me, that God is greater than anything that God could ever, ever give as a gift in my life, that he is more lovely, that none of those things compare to him, that God is greater than the sum of all things that he could give me. Think about that. That God is greater than all the sums of everything that he could ever give me through my entire life. Those moments when I say, Father, I would love to be healed. God, I would love for my body to be healed. But God, you are better. 
but you are better, God. Your will be done. God, I would love to be in this relationship with this, with this girl or this guy. God, you know that. Lord, if they're here this morning, let them hear these words, right? Yes. So, Lord, I would love to be in this relationship with them. But, Lord, you are better. You are better, God. Your will be done in my life. So it's the question is, is God enough? That's the huge question. Is God enough in your life? If you don't get everything on the list, is God enough? If you don't get anything on your shopping list with God, is God enough? Hallowed be your name. That's exactly what he is talking about here. Is God enough? If you're walking in a trial in your life right now and you pray, God, deliver me. And God says, no, not at this moment. You need to walk us out a little longer to learn the lesson that you need to learn in life. Then is God big enough? Is, is my joy based on the deliverance or knowing God is greater than any of those moments in my life? That he's sovereign above all of those moments of my life. Is God enough? It's the, it's the five solas of the, revol, of, of the, the, the Reformation. That's scripture alone. It's Christ alone. It's faith alone. It's grace alone. It's glory to God alone. And the qualifier on all those statements is the word alone. That God is enough. Your kingdom come, he said. Your kingdom come. Listen, we're not, as Americans, we're not real comfortable with the word kingdom because we're more comfortable with the word of democracy or pluralism in, in the way that our government is structured. But this goes back. This goes back to the way that God structured Israel to be led, and that is he structured Israel to be led as a theocracy, this theocratic kingdom, and that was that God was king. And what God would do, he would appoint judges and priests to rule and to lead and to guide Israel through those times and moments of their lives. And so I love it because we're about to embark on our fall series in a few weeks with you. And we're going to do a study, a a verse by verse study through the book of Judges. And it's going to be a really powerful time together for some real interesting characters throughout the book of Judges. But that's what he's talking about. Jesus is teaching us something important about how, about how God works in this world. First, yes, he's father. He is our father, no doubt about that. He's compassionate, loving, and kind, and we approach him through his son, Jesus. But he's not just father, he is king. Understand that today, that he's more than just our father, but he is king. Greater understanding of the character of God than what this God just what God does. So what are you saying? It is this, that God, your agenda, not mine. That's it. God, your agenda and not mine. I submit my will and my life and my desires and my wants, all those things that I have planned out in my life. God, I surrender all of those things to you because God, your agenda, not mine. Wow. That's a huge statement. That before I ask a thing from you, God, before I give you the list, I submit to you as king because it's not enough just to establish him as the, as father. I have to establish him as king. So what that means is this, that I am a citizen of his kingdom. And so I bow, 
I bow to all of his desires because I know that he's always for me, not against me. He wants the very best for my life. So I bow to him before everything and anything that's in my life that I desire. So he's king. And see, for some of you, the big obstacle here is that it's not that you see him as father. You've got that pretty well down, right? But when it comes to the kingship in your own life and the lordship over your own life, this is where you struggle. This is where you struggle. God, your agenda, not mine. Verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. And and I I love this. I, I love this thing about daily bread. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, God, God loves bread. Isn't that great? Yeah. God could be Southern. Could he not? Maybe, perhaps, I don't know. He would like a great biscuit, correct? And now and then, God loves bread. So God doesn't do the keto thing, right? Yeah. yeah. He gives us our daily bread. So when I read this and I began to research this, what I realized is that a, a lot of, a lot of, Theologians would say that what this, what this means, it's about the sacraments only is what he's talking about. It's, it's that of the Lord's Supper. It's communion is what he's talking about. But I began to read some writings about this from John Calvin. And, and Calvin said that is absolutely absurd because what this is about, this is about the daily moments of my life that God is concerned about every common moment of my life. And if I just think that God is only concerned about the divine moments of my life, then I've missed something powerful about Jesus' prayer. And that is that he is extremely concerned about the things that I call common. Everything. About the things that I might think are Ugly in my life. And I think that sometimes an obstacle in our prayer life is we get to this place where we where we think, you know, that I, I this is so this is so minuscule that I shouldn't bring this to God because God is a busy God. You know, he's running the world and doing all these kinds of things. So I'm just gonna kind of keep this to myself. And this is really my humanity and I'm gonna work this out on my own. And this is why this is this daily bread because it's the common things of our life. And what I realize is that there is a huge connection between my spirituality and the, the, the physical needs of my life. How do you know that, Mark? Because it was Jesus's idea when he preached to the 5,000, that he didn't allow them to go away physically hungry, but he fed them with loaves and fishes. So I wrote in my journal this week, those that depend on God, rest in God. It's Philippians chapter four, verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, he says. Wow, isn't that a powerful verse? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's such a powerful thing to rest in God, knowing that it's not just the sacred things, but it's the common things in my life that God is 
concerned about today. And then verse 4. And verse 4 is the one that we should skip, perhaps. You know, you think, I see that verse. This is about forgiveness. But here's what it says. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. It's about forgiveness first. Wow. It's, it's the power of confession is what it is. Because sin loses its power in our life when it's not exposed. And when sin is hidden in our lives, it tends to grow and to spread within us. So what confession does, it strips sin of its power. That I confess to God first about the sin of my life, then to others where it's needed. But it strips the power of sin when exposed. Think about our father Adam and our mother Eve. What was the first thing they did after the initial sin of humanity? What did they do? They hid from God. They hid from God. Because hidden sin empowers that sin in your life. And what Jesus does here as he speaks through Luke, in this abbreviated form of the Lord's Prayer, he sees it fit to include and continue this thought about forgiveness. And then he talks about forgiving others because confessing our sin to God and that of forgiving others go hand in hand because I first have to see my own sin before I can deal with the sins of others. Because when I see my own sinfulness, it brings a greater level of grace and of mercy in my own life toward others. If I refuse to see my own sin and confess my own sin and I hide that, then I'm going to be judgmental and I'm going to be unforgiving. And I'll be callous toward others and especially those that have sinned against me. So that's why it starts with our sin first and then the sins of others. So when it comes to prayer, then what's the big obstacle for you? What is it? What's the obstacle? Is it the father piece? Is that the obstacle for you this morning? Maybe it's the king piece, that he is king of your life. You got the father thing down. You maybe even had a great example of a loving father to grow up with. So you got that down, but it's the king piece. It's the surrender of my life completely to him. And say, God, your agenda, not mine, right? Maybe it's the daily bread piece, right? Where you're holding back on having an intimate conversation with your father because you think that the things that you're going to discuss with him 
are just too common. And so you're going to deal with them on your own. Or maybe it is the forgiveness piece as well. That you hold on to the sin. You've not come before him as a loving father because you're afraid of retribution or rejection. You've not confessed that to him. And I would say for many in this room, because I've been here, that unconfessed sins will always inhibit you from forgiving others and showing grace to others. Because grace begins with you realizing your own brokenness. You see, there is a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray. And that's what Jesus is telling us. But it's not just the words that you use, but yet it's your heart behind those words. So I'm going to pray with you in a moment, and we're going to sing. And what I would encourage you to do today, to give this some thought, that during the song, if you struggle with prayer, and it's an obstacle in your life in some way, to break through that obstacle today, to do that by just leaving your seat and coming and praying during the song. Just spending a moment with you and God. This is a house of prayer, not just a house of preaching or worship, but it's a house of prayer. But you take a step and you do it in the, in the face of the enemy. And you say, I will not allow you to use these obstacles against me any longer. Because you're missing these intimate conversations with your father today who desires to spend time. So, Father, here we are as your children. Father, we're sitting here as you know us so well. And you know our struggles and you know the barriers and the obstacles of our life. And so, Father, I ask today that you would open our hearts and our minds to your words, Lord. That we would see the obstacles in our own prayer life. And, God, that we would surrender those to you today. Lord, we would step out in faith that you're our Father. Oh, and God, we would trust you completely that you are King. We would surrender completely to you as well, God. And God, we would embark on a journey that would change our lives in prayer. So, Father, we trust you today we give you thanks. In your name we pray. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.